My title this morning is The Green Sabbath. And I know you don't know what that means, and I didn't either. And so I just want to share with you a little bit this morning. I thought this was a great picture about deception. The wolf is there, but he's covered over with the sheep's clothing so that you basically don't see too much of the wolf. Mm-hmm, that's how it went on. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Most of you know that I like to garden. God gave me that interest in growing plants. And, but when I want to learn something new about a plant or how to do something in the garden, I tend anymore to go to the computer and look up YouTube videos because there it is, somebody else has already done this, and I learn how to do something. And in studying for gardening, I came across two subjects that I want to share with you today. They're related, and they are related spiritually. So just bear with me. You may kind of wonder where this is going, but we'll get there. I just don't want you to be deceived. Okay, I'm not a scientist by any means, so we're going to start with the basics. Genesis 1-5 said, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. I thought the kids would be in here, but I guess they're all at Children's Church. Uh, Maybe some of them are coming. Anyway, a day is approximately 24 hours long. And in one day, the earth completes one rotation on its axis. And it consists of a long period of night, where we have the moon and the stars, and another period of lightness, which is the daytime, when the sun is visible. And God said we'd have evening and morning, and it was good. So how long is a week? Seven days, that's right. And what's at the end of that week that's really special? Sabbath, Sabbath's at the end of the week. God made it for us. Okay, it's for man and not us for the Sabbath. I hope you all remember that. So how long is a year? Twelve months. How many days? Point two four. Yeah, <laughs> after the 365. That hap- uh, in one year, the earth makes one complete orbit around the sun. And we have the 12 months, we have four seasons, and those bring us changes in weather, in daylight and darkness, and consequently in vegetation and soil fertility. Because as we all know, it's a lot easier to grow vegetables when it's warm than when it's cold, at least most vegetables. And in studying, I learned about something called the solar minimum. And you're like, what in the world was that? That's exactly my same thing. I had never heard of that until 2019. I'm not an expert in science. That's not what my education's in. And I got this information from the Internet. But I didn't make this up. I didn't get it from Billy Bob's or Cousin Bubba's YouTube channel, most of this information about the solar minimum comes off either NOAA or NASA or the National Weather Service. You will find this information on their sites. So today we're going to learn a little bit about the sun, how the Lord made it, about its solar cycle. Our sun is a huge ball of electrically charged hot gas. And the solar cycle, this is what's interesting. There is an 11-year cycle experienced by the sun. 
you know, just like the earth has cycles, the sun has cycles. This 11-year cycle, during this solar cycle, the sun's stormy behavior builds to a maximum, and its north and south poles switch. And then the sun settles back down to a minimum, builds up to a minimum, and another 11-year cycle takes place. So since we have an 11-year cycle for the north pole of the sun to switch to the south pole, it takes another 11 years to get it back up to the north pole again. So you have two 11-year cycles, so I guess you could say it's a 22-year cycle. Well, there are three elements in solar stormy weather. The first is solar flares. Uh, That's a sudden flash of increased brightness on the sun, usually observed near its surface and also near sunspot areas. The flare is a brief eruption of intense high-energy radiation from the sun's surface, and that's caused by moving magnetic fields up in the atmosphere there. The second part of solar weather is sunspots. Now, most of us have heard of those. Those are temporary dark spots on the surface of the sun that reduce its surface temperature. And they can be in groups or pairs. They can last from a few days to a few months before they disappear. They can be from 10 miles in diameter to 100,000 miles in diameter. They can be huge. And these sunspot activity cycles during the solar cycle And when it has the most sunspots, you call it the solar maximum, and the lowest activity there is solar minimum. Now, the third part of solar weather are coronal mass ejections. That's when the sun throws off these large amounts of matter. And it can be so big that it can be like three miles wide and a half a mile high. It can be like 20 billion tons of material it'll throw off. And these are the, it can travel at a million or more miles an hour. They are the biggest, most violent explosions in our solar system. They can release the power of about one billion hydrogen bombs. And um, that can also trigger major disturbances uh, on our Earth's magnetosphere. And that sun can eject that matter in any direction. So fortunately, most of it doesn't hit Earth. Now, all this space weather can affect us. It affects people in airplanes that are flying near the poles. It can affect astronauts out in space, and it uh, affects our telecommunications, too. But fortunately, God has provided a magnetic field around the Earth that protects it from solar particles. But those, we are more vulnerable at the North and the South Pole than anywhere else. Now, at the North and South Pole, we also have beautiful space weather. We have in the Aurora Borealis are the northern lights around the North Pole. And at the South Pole, we have Aurora Australis. And I just think we don't get that around here. I just think those colors are magnificent. And during solar minimums, there's more pink and white colors that are there. And I just think they're so pretty. But because we have this bad space weather, we have satellites that keep an eye on the sun, and it can warn the scientists of violent outbursts up there. And we do have scientists, U.S. scientists, that do solar cycle forecasting. And most of us, of course, we get our daily weather forecast. That's the 
most common uh, scientific information we get. And solar forecasting is relatively new. Um, that Since the solar cycle is 11 years old, long, it's only the fourth solar cycle that the scientists have been predicting. And that office is manned 24-7, and they keep things going and work hard to improve their abilities to tell us what will happen. And one way to track the solar cycles is by counting the number of sunspots. Uh, the beginning of the solar cycle is a solar minimum when the sun has the least amount of sunspots. And over time, the sunspots increase to the middle of that cycle, which is the solar maximum when the sun has the most sunspots. And then it fades back again. And we are now beginning solar cycle number 25. And you say, why just 25? And it's only been that long that they have been able to track and even from historical records, the temperatures and also the number of sunspots. So that's the number of sunspot observations, and you see coming up to about our area in 2020. And our current cycle, let me go back in just a second. If you'll notice, see if I can point this. Ah, we're right over here. And if you see this cycle did not get very high. Most Sometimes they can go over 300 sunspots in their maximum. This is the maximum in each cycle, and then the minimum is down low. Well, our last cycle that we're just finishing was not very high. The sunspots only went a little over 100, and as you can see, for 2019, um, we only had 281, we had 281 days with no sunspots, and 2020 is running just about the same. And a lot of people, the scientists, say that cycle 25, that we're just beginning, will be about the same as cycle 24. But there's some other scientists who say, I think we are in for what's called a grand solar minimum. Now, nobody can predict. God's the only one that knows. But there were, have been solar minimums in the past. One was called the Maunder Minimum. And if you'll see, the sunspots did not get up at all. There were almost none. Um, a, a grand solar minimum occurs when several solar cycles exhibit less than average activity for decades or centuries. Solar cycles still occur during those uh, grand solar minimums, but they're at lower intensity than usual. And those times have usually had very severe cold weather. They have caused glaciers to increase. Ground is frozen. Seaports can be blocked by ice for out to 20 miles. And it has caused loss of crops and diseases. So there have been mass famines and loss of life due to disease. And even in this country, back in the um, 1700s, we had, in, in early 1800s, we had summers with freezing weather. So that can be terribly rough times. And these are some different um, solar minimums back in history. You can see the beginning date and the ending date and the length of time that those minimums lasted. Now, we have been um, keeping up with sunspots ever since Galileo perfected the telescope in 1609, and people ha have been so interested in that that they watched it, they kept records, um, 
They may not be perfectly accurate because back then you had cloudy days and they couldn't keep up with it then. They couldn't see through them and records were lost. But we have had really good patterns uh, with a lot of information from back since his time to now. Um, God created the sun to warm our planet and our temperatures rise during solar maximums and the earth cools down a little bit during the solar minimum. And the sun does this. It's not that we're driving SUVs or drinking with plastic straws. You know, Mars has heated up too. And as we all know, there's nobody pumping gas up there or cars running around, and there's no cows expelling methane gas. The sun gives us global warming, and it gives us global cooling. And those cycles come every 11 years. And there's two reasons I wanted to tell you about the sun. I think it's really fascinating the Lord made it, and I think we should realize it goes through cycles just like the earth does. And also, I want you to realize that the sun is a major factor that controls our weather. I mean, there are other things too, but that's a major factor. And before we move on to the next little part of this, I am not saying it's okay to pollute. I don't believe that, Uh, not at all. Um, I don't think we should mistreat this beautiful earth. It's such a magnificent gift that God has given us. And of of everybody, we should, those that love the Lord should certainly take care of their property. Don't trash it. Keep it nice, clean. Take as good a care of it as you can. But I want you to see how this will relate to the next thing. The Green Sabbath Project. It seems to have been started by some Jews who were very concerned for the environment. But there's lots of people concerned about the environment. And they suggested that we take a weekly day of rest. Make it a real Sabbath for you, for the earth. Don't drive, don't shop, don't build. Take a walk, eat with friends, play or read with your kids, sing, meditate. Well, that sounds like Sabbath, but not exactly. There's more. They really want us to stop creating the need for more goods, stop using up natural resources, stop emitting carbon dioxide and other pollutants. They say if we all reduced our driving, shopping, business, energy consumption by one-seventh, we would pollute that much less. And people, an increasing number of people, see the wisdom of taking a technology Shabbat, that's the Israeli word for Sabbath, um, a break from all devices on your screen. And in South America and Colombia, they have car-free Sundays. So people are just enjoying riding their bikes and getting out and walking and exercising. And in Israel, they have realized that when everything shuts down for Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, nitrogen oxide pollution decreases by 70 to 99%. So they're all saying, try it. One day a week, you'll stop creating the need for more goods. You'll stop using up natural resources. You'll stop emitting carbon dioxide and other pollutants. You know, and I, like I said, I am no scientist, but I always thought that as long as we're breathing, we're taking in oxygen and we're putting out carbon dioxide, which is what the trees and the plants take in and they give off oxygen for us. So I can't see how we're going to stop emitting carbon dioxide, you know, unless we're not here any longer. Um, maybe it would be a little less than if we're working hard. But anyway, I I couldn't quite understand that one. Uh, But the religious leaders are getting on the bandwagon too. Um, 
They want us to preserve God's creation, and they are now telling Christians, keep your tires properly inflated, and you can walk or ride your bike more. And they've said, why not invoke the Sabbath and suggest that people live near their church and keep Sunday holy by not shopping or working? Then they could skip all driving one day a week. Uh, that, but part about living near your church, does that mean you should go to church at the church nearest where you live, whether it's your denomination or not? Or does that mean you should move so you live near your church? I'm not quite sure what they meant here, but that causes a problem for me. <laughs> okay, some of these Jewish people have said... Shabbat, let's see, oh, I believe the traditional Jewish framework of the kinds of activities forbidden, forbidden on Shabbat make an excellent guideline for us today for environmental reasons. Whether or not one believes in God or cares for organized religion. Now that's sad, but it doesn't get any better the more you read about this. They say, if you care about our future, observe a real Sabbath day of rest. It helps cultivate community, self-discipline, inner calm, and contentment, and it helps environmental deterioration and climate disaster. It could merely be a question of doing nothing. And I said, nothing? You know, the Sabbath is a delight. It's a day of rest from work, but it's not a day of nothing. I, I think they've totally missed the picture here. Leviticus tells us, you know, we're not to be doing any work on Sabbath. It's a day of rest, but it's also a day of holy convocation. Don't do any work, but it's the Sabbath and all your dwellings. Well, a convocation is a public meeting or assembly, and you've got to get there. Most of us don't live right next door to the church, so we drive. But the Lord tells us to do this. Uh, some of them feel like that this... The Sabbath, in an era of climate change, it's an ancient Jewish practice that may help save us all. You know, this, that's not going to save us. God is the one that saves us. And loving God and keeping the seventh-day Sabbath, it honors God. It shows our allegiance to him. It's all about our relationship with him because he is the one who will save us. But we'll continue on with their thoughts. So I want you to get the picture here. Slow Sunday, the simple solution to global warming. At a stroke, we can reduce 10% of our carbon emissions into the atmosphere by making Sunday a low-carbon day and at the same time make ourselves happier and healthier. And some of them, some of the people that want to do this, they don't care what day you pick as long as you pick a day. They say we can have low-carbon Friday for the Muslims, save energy Saturday for the Jews, and slow down Sunday for the Christians. However, the great majority want Sunday to be a fossil-free fuel day. They say we can easily close our supermarkets, our department stores, and our gas stations. We can be fossil-free. We can reduce our mobility to the bare essentials without harming our economy in any way. I'm thinking, really? Seems like this last lockdown harmed our economy quite a bit. And others say, we can and should restore Sunday to a day for Gaia, a day for the earth. I'm like, Gaia? Who is Gaia? Where did, where did this come from? I did a little research. Gaia is the Greek 
in, in Greek mythology, the Greek goddess of the earth. Supposedly, she gave birth to the sky, the sea, and the mountains. Well, we know that's false. That's false. That's an insult to God. He is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in the very beginning of our Bibles. But others feel that we need a radical overhaul of our corporate governments, finance, our energy systems. And due to the wildfires and the Arctic ice melting and North Sea methane, we need dramatic intervention. And since COVID came along this year and gave us a lockdown everywhere around the world, well, maybe we should just consider a climate lockdown so governments could limit private vehicle use, ban consumption of red meat, and impose extreme energy-saving measures. And because, uh, While fossil fuel companies would have to stop drilling because markets are not going to do this green revolution in their own, government policy must steer them in that direction. And some places they are. In the San Francisco Bay Area, they've already approved a plan so that large companies, uh, their employees will be first forced to work from home three days a week and not drive in. And over in Britain, they've decided that the government says that sheep farming is not profitable without subsidies. So they are just going to pay the sheep farmers not to grow sheep. They're just going to let their land return to forest. And I read that in France, they want to do basically the same thing, except they're telling all their farmers, just let your land go back to trees or whatever and don't grow anything. They said it's cheaper for us to buy food than it is for you to grow it. Now, there's something really wrong with that, because when you don't grow food for your own country, you're going to have a big problem. Because when you need it and you can't buy it, there won't be any. Oh, but next, then there's Greta. And I'm like, who's Greta? Greta Thunberg is a Swedish environmental activist as a child. And um, she was diagnosed with Asperger's as a young child. And she, however, has normal intelligence and language development, but people with Asperger's syndrome tend to focus deeply on one idea or one interest, and climate change became hers. She first learned about it when she was eight years old, and within a few years, she changed her own habits. And since cows evidently give off too much methane, she gave up meat. And she also gave up flying on planes because they use fuel. And her mother is an opera singer. And so she has decided to give up her career because she she doesn't want to fly because her daughter doesn't like this. So Greta also did a strike from school every Friday. And evidently millions of other people, especially in Europe, have joined her. Anyway, she's spoken in a lot of different government venues and become quite famous. And a lot of people think she's like a modern-day Moses telling us that we need to slow down our consumption to a sustainable level. But guess who jumps into the scene next? Surprise. Pope Francis said that the COVID-19 panic pandemic has in some ways given us a chance to develop new ways of living. Indeed, we already see how that the earth can recover if we allow it to rest. The air becomes cleaner, the water's cleaner, and the animals return to many places where they had previously disappeared. It sounds so nice. 
And he said, people must be aware of their rightful place in nature, never thinking of themselves as masters. I thought, that does not ring right with me. Because the Bible said, back in Genesis, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion. That means control or sovereignty, being a master over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Anyway, when did spiritual leaders get into the environmental issues in the economy? But the Pope was very pleased with this year's environmental theme, Jubilee for the Earth, because 2020 is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. And he quoted the verse back in Leviticus about proclaiming a Jubilee, and he also reminded everybody that he wants justice for offenses and also forgiveness of debt. Well, debt, do you think that's your credit card debt or your house mortgage debt? No, it's an ecological debt. The blue countries, he says, are the exploiters, and we all have to pay the red countries. And those are called the global south countries. They are mostly the third world countries. And the developed countries ought to help pay this debt. He also calls for redistribution of wealth. I don't know any details on that, but... Anyway, can you see how this wonderful goal of caring for the earth on slow Sunday is going to get almost everybody on board before they even realize what, what's happening? It's noble. Who doesn't want the earth to be beautiful and pretty and clean and help it out and do their part? But, um, you know, who doesn't want to help out? How could we possibly not jump on board except that we know the ultimate goal. I want you to think about this. Every time Satan tempted Christ, think about the reward. The reward Satan had for everything was something earthly. Once it was the kingdoms of the world, another temptation was for food, and one was for protection by angels. When we think of someone selling out to the devil... They usually receive something earthly or worldly in return, be it fame or fortune or goods. But what did Jesus say? We're not to fall in love with this world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He repeated that many times in the New Testament. My kingdom is not of this world. And one day... Jesus will create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things, even the environmental issues, will not be remembered or come to mind. However, we need to remember that the Catholic Church claims that the change of Saturday Sabbath to Sunday was her act. And the act is a mark. Isn't it amazing that word is a mark? of her ecclesiastical authority in religious things. And here's another quote. Sunday is our mark or authority. The church is above the Bible, and this transference of Sabbath observance is proof of that fact. But when you go to the Bible, God reminds us to keep his seventh day holy, 
not another day. You know, the world is becoming so secular. I think the beast, uh, very intelligently, has come up with this non-religious way for people to keep Sunday, their day, their mark. It has nothing to do with religion. They don't care why you keep Sunday, just as long as you do. We all want our earth to be a beautiful, healthful place to live. So they say, if you just keep Sunday, the earth will be blessed and it can recover. And by doing that, the Pope will get many on board for slow down Sunday for environmental reasons alone. But once they are there and he's got the support of the majority, we know things will change. But by then, it will be too late. We don't want their mark. We want God's seal. That's just a representation someone came up with. Now, only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. And I'm not saying this is the only delusion that may be used. I'm just saying it's one. But I came across it and I wanted to share By the Bible testimony, these will detect the deceiver in his disguise. And that's from Great Controversy. So remember, take heed lest any man deceive you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you for your word, for the truth that it holds. And may it be a part of us. We just pray that we will read it and love it and want to honor you so that we will not be deceived, and we look forward to your soon coming. In Jesus' name, amen.